and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, a show where we talk about tabletop games and gaming topics of all kinds. This week, we'll be talking about being creative. I assume that involves tabletop games in some way. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. What do AI, 3D printing, and miniature painting all have in common? They are all things we've talked about before that Chris is lumping under one topic so we can talk about them again. And I'm sure he'll explain how this all relates to board gaming at some point. Probably I don't not. actually but believe first, that. Th- <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. Chris made me read it. Uh, one of these. Actually, no, I had ChatGPT write that last week for you. This one I wrote myself. Um, it's not better. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to thank our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sahara Wentworth, Michael Finley, Listener Doug, and the Gift of Games in Grays Lake. Thank you to all of you and all patrons and everybody on our Discord and on our live audience. And yeah, join our Discord. There's a link in the show notes. Join our live audience. <laughs> you get notifications if you're joined our Discord. Uh, Monday's 8.30, around that time anyway. Um, how are you guys doing? How's stuff? How was your weekend? Stuff is good. <laughs> good, good. I like it. I like it. That's that's the same answer my four year old gives me when I ask him, "What'd you do?" Nothing. I don't know. Stuff. How are you? Good. No. <laughs> All right then. What do you want to do? PBS games. Fine. Here's your iPad. Go away. That's that's my conversation with my four year old and with Fletcher. Although I think he's past PBS games. <laughs> um, I finally finished making Halloween-themed Christmas pajamas for my sister's kids just in time for Easter. Halloween-themed Christmas pajamas? Christmas pajamas? Yeah, they were going to be their Christmas presents, but then I got um, pregnant with twins, and I didn't do anything for like four months. But I had ordered the fabric. Be- Halloween, so Halloween themed, so it's like okay, that you was can wear what these my nephew next year. chose. <laughs> he wanted he wanted spooky skeletons, so I bought a spooky skeleton and an orange spooky, scary skeleton fabric. Spooky scary skeletons, they glow in the dark. Um, <laughs> that's what he wanted for Christmas was for me to make him spooky skeleton PJs, and I finally and finished them. Easter. They're getting them for Easter. That's that's fair. His sister got uh, the know, nightgown too, Halloween. even though she doesn't pretty have much the same thing. They're both candy <laughs> related. <laughs> they are both candy related. You just they are all featured in the Nightmare Before Christmas, indeed. And this is true too. I would not call uh, uh, Easter as featured. Yeah, there's like a tree with a bunny on it. <laughs> you see there's the tree? I think it has an egg, right? But you, they don't go there. there. Easter cameo. There's definitely the cameo. an Easter tree. I I do not like that movie. You don't like Nightmare Before Christmas? No, I don't like anything Tim Burton does. What? It's nothing. What? <laughs> I like Tim Burton. Nope. I've liked lots of things he did. I think the Nightmare Before Christmas though, was just fine. You don't like Batman? Tim Burton Batman movies? Well, I do. Didn't he do... Did he do the Penguin one? Yeah. He did do that the one, Penguins yes. with the lasers. He did Batman yeah. and Batman Returns. Um... I liked the Batman, like the early Batmans, where Robin's there and and he's like, "There's so much hole." No, he goes, he goes, "This this metal, it's it's holy. It's like holy rusted metal, Batman." Like that was my favorite line. That was not one movie. of the Tim Burton ones. That was not one of those. No. You don't like Edward Scissorhands? Hey, I didn't like the. I did not like the Tim Burton ones. Um, but yeah, Michael Keaton as Batman and Michael Keaton, Pe- Keaton as Batman is coming back for the Flash movie. Which I'm very excited for. I'm a DC fan. I like DC. Uh, they can't do anything right, but I like them. Do you know, like Edward Scissorhands? Was Robin in the one with Val Kilmer or no, just the one with it. George Clooney? Robin, I think he was just the one with George, George Clooney. Clooney. Uh, John says both. I trust John. There was, ba- Maybe. There was a Batman and, I mean, there was a Robin in Batman Returns. In anything else? Not in Batman now Returns. That's out. still Michael Keaton in the one with Val Kilmer. Yes. Oh, the Val Kilmer one. Uh, yeah, that might there might have been a Robin in those Batman Forever. Apparently, I thought that was the George Clooney one. I don't know. So we, I'm, we I'm googling. You Chad guys GPT. keep talking. <laughs> oh, that was called Batman like and Robin. That, what about what? Do, do you like the music? Do you like Danny Elfman? Um, I don't know that by name. Can what you about Edward Scissorhands? The Nightmare Before Christmas. No, Nightmare Before Christmas is eh. It's, it's not even eh. It's just bad for me. It's just uh, I just don't want to watch like skeletal figures running around for Christmas. I don't know. I'm not a big death fan. 
But what about um, Edward Scissorhands? He says he no, hates it. No, terrible movie. Such a it's good movie. So bad. <laughs> so good. It's so bad. Why is okay? All right. We <laughs> just accept that Chris I watched is wrong. It, I guess. Hey, I am old enough <laughs> to have watched it in the theater. Neither of you watched it in the theater. Uh, all I need to know, Chris, is one of your top three favorite restaurants is Buffalo Wild Wings. Okay, so that tells me <laughs> your taste. Actually. It has it has been falling down for quite a bit. Every time oh, I go, okay, sorry. I'm top more and 10. more disappointed. Yeah, now it's in the top 10. <laughs> I love the chat right now. I can't even, like, it's impossible to convey what's going on in chat. So the best Just advice I have Discord. is join us Mondays, 8.30. <laughs> See, Michael agrees with me. What's a favorite movie uh, that you like? Just so I know your taste. Um, oh... Well, that's that is a great. All right, so I'll go with a classic. Not not quite as far back as like Edward Scissorhands, but like I and I don't know why this just popped into my head. But around that same time, I really liked Pleasantville. Pleasantville was a great movie. Goonies is a great movie. Um, Pleasantville is a good Miles movie. Stop stealing there. answers from our chat. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just you know they're bringing up good good movie answers. Um, let's see, modern movie. I did just see the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Not going to spoil it because I think not a lot of people have seen it yet. Although I didn't check the box, the weekend results. I kind of want to see what the weekend results were on that. Um, but that was a really good movie. But then again, I'm also one of the very few people that liked the first Dungeons and Dragons movie. Um, I liked not, the first well, Dungeons and Dragons movie, but I was like 12. So yeah, it's not, it's not objectively movie. good. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a fun movie, and I enjoyed it. Um, but Honor, Honor Among Thieves was a was a good movie. Like I would recommend. Um, let's see, what was the opening box office? I don't even know how to tell. Let's see, D and D movie twenty twenty three box office. There we go. Google is our friend. How much did it make? Everyone's. Um, ooh, that's not very good. Box office Dungeons and Dragons opening to thirty eight point five million. That's not is that that's not terrible. I don't the, it, these numbers I don't think mean that's nothing very good. to me. But I don't think that's very good because there's hundred and fifty million to make. Like it'll make back what it made for yeah, sure. Yeah, it'll it'll um, it'll be fine. But that's uh, that's probably not a big. That's not a great opening showcase. It'll be interesting to see once it hits streaming a, because I think so few people go to the movies these days. We have to well, drive. 20 miles to get to our nearest theater. They've done like almost no advertisements for this movie. When you said like it was coming out, Nick, you know, at the end of the month, I was like, wait, what really? Like all I had heard was like, they're making a new one. I had no idea that it was coming out so soon. Also, most of what I've heard is in relation to the open gaming license stuff was we should all boycott this movie. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't think that. I have determined. I'm pretty certain that boycotts just don't work. Um, I guess it depends on where it's at, but boycotts every time someone can it, it definitely depends. work. <laughs> there's a lot of backlash boycotts. Like if someone boycotts something and there's enough people who are like anti the reason for that, you'll see these backlash boycotts or anti boycotting. So I don't know. In any case, it's a good movie. If you like D and D, you should see it. If you don't like D and D, you should see it. If you are familiar with the Forgotten Realms, if you know it at all what that means, this is it's set in that, and it's also very good. Like it's just a good D and D movie. I'm just gonna. Oh, it's my, actually set in the Forgotten Realms. It's for set in the Forgotten Realms. It's set in, um, oh, not Water, uh, Neverwinter. I believe is the city it's in. Oh, um, set in Neverwinter. Okay. Yeah, and the main bad guy is a uh, Red Wizard of Thay. Which is like a big thing, and yes, I'm being called a nerd in chat, which is true. But that's why you people. Oh, listen, that's right? why you're here. Don't <laughs> pretend like it's not. Yeah. This is a tabletop game podcast. <laughs> if you're not looking for nerds, I think you might be lost. Um, I do remember what to- I did this weekend for real, suddenly, and that was I finished watching Andor. Ooh, how did you oh, I finished that? watching it, too. Spoil it. Start with the last <laughs> episode and work the other way. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, here's the problem that I had with Andor, which was that I fell asleep for, like, the most exciting 20 minutes, and now I have to go rewatch it. <laughs> but I woke up for the last 10 minutes where it wrapped up everything, so I know what happened, but it, wasn't, <laughs> it was not ideal. <laughs> yeah. I... It... 
Andor was such an unexpectedly really good show. Like the first episode bored me to tears. Yeah, it, it bored me too. I was like, this was three not episodes, looking great. Any of the ones yeah. that had the flashbacks, I was like, Ugh. <laughs> but once you get past that, it gets really good. Yeah, yeah. If you get the first episode, you're gonna go in, and honestly, I did what a lot of people did. I'm 15 minutes into it. I'm just like, I'm already bored. I'm just gonna go watch something else. Um, and then I went back and kept watching it, and then I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I did. So we started watching it a while ago, and neither Spencer or I really got into it. Uh, but um, my brother-in-law has been, like, bothering Spencer to death. Like, Jesse is like, you have to go back and watch this. It's so good. It's one of the best. So, um, But he was watching it with him, and he's like, well, that guy's from... Um, Rogue One, and we couldn't remember Rogue One, so we had to go back and watch Rogue One first, and then start Andor, and it's better that way. Rogue, Rogue One, the best Star Wars movie ever. So made. good. It's it is a very like, good movie. It's it's just so good, yeah. and I I love everything about Rogue One, and Andor just is like ah, uh, and I'm hoping Andor gets a second season. I think they're going to. Miles keeps talking about a post credit scene in the final episode, and now I'm wondering if I've seen it or not. So I need to go back and watch that episode again. <laughs> um, I did watch that because that's the part I was awake for. <laughs> but I do. I hear they're getting a second season, but the second season is also already announced as its final season, and they have already said that the last scene is going to be his first scene in Rogue One. Yeah. I'm I'm looking that's and that's what I hope they do, right? They don't need to go like Rogue One yeah. was so good because it was just by itself. All you need to do is watch that movie. You cannot you watch anything else. You knew what was gonna happen. You knew what was gonna happen. Yeah, it's just so good. That's cool because it's like the <sighs> the last the last scene in Rogue One ties in perfectly to, you know, a new hope, right? Because it's yeah. like uh-huh. that's right where the story picks up. Yep. So all right. Um, yeah, Andor. That was a worthy watch. That's why we didn't yeah. play games on Wednesday night. Because yes, well, a number I of reasons. But watch Andor. <laughs> Andor was one of those reasons. Also, yeah, the internet was being disagreeable. I'm still. We're in the middle of Picard season three. Actually, I don't know if we're in the middle or the latter half. Um, but that's another one that is just like every single episode is mind-numbingly good. It's just so good, and yeah. So you should watch that too. Um, what other TV am I watching? That's about it. I watched Survivor. I've watched every single season of Survivor, and I don't feel bad about it. I think it's a great show. So deal with it. Let's talk about being creative. Actually, no. We have a couple of questions first. That are going to lead into being creative. So questions. Questions. Um, so this episode was almost going to be what did I title it originally? Um, like grab bag or something like that because. I had several small topics I wanted to talk about, but none of them I thought would fill an entire thing. And then once I started putting the topics together, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is kind of just all different ways of creativity. So that's what I did. Um, so the first question, though, is from Token Fan. He wants to know, what advantages do we get for being a proud member of the Dice Tower Network? And Kitty, I think you should answer this. Wait, what? <laughs> I was responding to John in the chat. Sorry. <laughs> What benefits do we get for being a member of the Dice Tower Network? Uh, one time Tom Vassell called me Amanda. There you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was introducing um, us to the network. And he was introducing like three podcasts at the time. And one of them had an, a hostess, hostess, host, I don't know, uh, named Amanda. And he also called Kitty Amanda. So it just sort of worked out. But um, he got me and Josh correct. Yep. So, yeah, the benefits we get from being on the network, I guess the only real benefit is we're occasionally mentioned in different places on the Dice Tower. And if you were to go to the Dice Tower website and look at podcast, we're on there every week. So you'll see us there. So we're kind of a link um, that way. Mostly it's just kind of a cool thing. Uh, the way this ended up happening, I think we were in episode 70-ish before we became a Dice Tower Network. Because when I remember when we first started recording, we're probably 10 or 15 episodes in. And I emailed them saying, hey, we're doing a board game podcast. And would you, um, like, you know, can we join the Dice Tower Network? And his response was, well, I'd 
we're kind of have enough people on the Dice Tower Network right now, and I'm not trying to take over the world or anything. So yeah, we don't really have any space for anyone right now. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. And then I, you know, silently said nothing. But then I went on a Dice Tower cruise and staged a time that I knew that Tom would be in the gaming room because he is an early bird. He likes to get to the gaming room like six o'clock in the morning and he's gone by like six at night. So I got there bright and early with a game that he said he was interested in playing. And I'm like, so I brought it. I'm like, oh, I'll teach it to you. So we played a game and I just casually snuck in that. It's like, oh yeah, I have a a podcast. It's like, I emailed you once. um, And he's like, and he remembered the email. And he's like, yeah, email me again. So I'm like, okay. So I emailed him again. And he's like, okay, yeah, let's let's get you all set up. And that was how we got onto the Dice Tower Network is I just went on a cruise so I could meet him and casually slip in that, hey, why, why am I not on your network? Um, but yeah, otherwise, there's really no major benefit, but it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to, when you meet other people at conventions, especially other like content creators, um, we all know it's like, oh yeah, Dice Tower Network. Plus, um, I could have, as Christopher mentions in chat, get Eric Summer to do any voice work that we wanted to do, but we were already so set in our like intro outro stuff that it didn't make sense to just kind of like start throwing Eric's voice on it. So I we didn't do that. Um, yes, we can vote on Dice Tower Awards. I have only ever done it once because um, it's a lot of work and I don't want to skew the results with the, well, I played this game and I liked it. So I don't know what these other four games are. So I'm just going to vote for the game I like. Um, I feel like if I'm going to, if I was going to do a voting in a category, I'd want to have played all the games. And that's usually not the case. Um, yeah. So that's the Dice Tower Network question. I said, not really an episode. Uh, I should find the episode where we first announced it. We talked about it a little bit more there. And then I wanted to um, take a comment. So in our Discord, we have a podcast discussion channel. And I invited ChatGPT to that channel. And accidentally, he stuck around. So <laughs> um, so if you want to talk to ChatGPT, you can kind of do it in that channel, I think. <laughs> Even though I've tried to like turn him off for that and like put him only in a single channel. But we'll see. Um, any case... Sarah mentioned, brought up that she is a teacher and she's an art teacher um, and they don't allow their students to use any of the AI art generation for their projects, even if the art isn't what's being graded on, right? They're just doing a project and it'd be nice to have some art for it. No, you know, do bad art that's your own as opposed to using AI tools. And um, there's a lot of discussion on this. So if you're interested in this, there's there's a, a decent amount of discussion there. And I've gotten to think about it since then, too. And I'm wondering, I'm going to ask you guys questions, and I'm, I'm just curious what your answers are. Should students be allowed to use AI, just AI period, for ungraded work for classes? Like, what do you think? For ungraded work? Yeah. So it's, there's like... Um, imagine you're taking a programming class where you're writing a video game, right? And it's the it's the game design that you're being graded on, not like the art in the game, but you use some AI to generate art. Should that uh, be allowed or should the students have to go through what it is to create art for a video game or whatever it happens to be, whatever project you might be looking uh, at? I mean, I'm, in that example, I'm fine with that. Sure. I don't see a um, And someone asked the age range. We're talking college level. So college course... Video game. Um, I think as long as it's like a tool that everyone has access to, I don't like the idea of somebody being able to um, pay their way to get access to more things that other students don't have access to. I, okay, I can buy that. So, and just now her premise was essentially their entire department has voted no. AI is not allowed in any student project. And my initial reaction was the same thing. As yours. It's like, well, I mean, if it's not graded, then why not? It depends. It's very complicated. It all depends on, like, what the course is and what the intention of the course is. And, like, if this is something like, hey, everyone can use this tool to, like, throw some art in their game if they want. But, like, if somebody else is doing that and, like, it, even if it's not the aspect that it is being graded on, it's part of the project and it can be like affect the way that teachers or some people see the effort that was put into it. And if it's not your effort, 
are you being unfairly rewarded for for that? So I, I so agree with that, but then the solution okay. to that problem is not to allow isn't the AI art. It's like you're creating a game and you're going to need art pieces for this. Here are the art pieces to use. So everybody uses the same, yes. you know, thing for, for the art. Yeah. And Sarah's in chat right now. She mentions that um, to be fair, the work is graded. It's the art and the project. Um, it's a board game making class. Um, so the art, the art in the project, I think what she's saying is the work in general is graded, um, but huh? the art for itself is not being because yeah, it's I mean, not being people graded can have for different skills, quality. right? Yeah. Like someone can be now, really good at drawing stuff. Yeah. Later on, later on in the chat, and I forget who said this, but someone said something that actually kind of really made sense to me and kind of changed my opinion on this. Because when you're learning how to do something, sometimes you just need to do it the hard way, right? When you're learning math, they're not handing calculators to first graders. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're going to use a calculator later on. But when you're learning the foundations of things, you are you need to start with the doing things. And yes, this is college, and you already have foundations, but it doesn't mean that what you're doing here and creating content art for a board game is different than creating something else. So doing it manually will actually help you understand better how AI can help you. And you're not so focused on this new tool. You're focused on different things. Um, you're, you're focused on like the design aspects of things and what goes into the type of art you might need for a board game. So I can actually see this both ways. Um, I also agree if if you're letting one person do it, everyone should have access to it. Uh, but that's, that's my next question. Should universities embrace these new AI tools? And th- these are like brand new, right? So, but should there already be classes that focus on how to use these new tools for whatever you happen to be doing? I don't, or is it too early? I mean, I don't know if there needs to be a class, but I remember when I started college, there was not a class, but like during like freshman orientation kind of a thing um one of the things that you had to attend was like about wikipedia and that was you know still kind of like a new idea when i was in college and they explained what it was and what you could (laughs) use it for and what you couldn't use it for um in college and i yeah when i was in college yeah we weren't allowed to cite the internet the internet was not a valid source for anything we did right and it's still not you can't cite wikipedia as a source (laughs) but you can use wikipedia to find sources and cite those sources yeah which i find ridiculous because i think wikipedia is probably more accurate than most other media sources at this point because it's so peer-reviewed i mean yes there's always exceptions but the thing is you know about the exceptions and they Uh... they make big news because it's like oh wait um but they're all so well sourced like I mean, again, it depends on the topic, but, you know, I've gone to pages where there's like 150 sources that are being referenced and stuff. Um, Yeah. And the really fun rabbit hole to fall down is to go check out all those sources, which is great. And you have access to all that. And it's amazing. Yeah. At a a click. Yep. So, yeah, I think these tools should be kind of like integrated. So if you're in this board game design class, I assume you're not just designing a board game for your whole semester. That's not the whole point. So if maybe for one of the projects, everyone gets to, okay, and now we're going to explore what is the use of AI art due to affect games. Everyone must use AI art for this game. Oh, I like that. Um, You know, like integrate it bit by bit into minor portions of assignments. Don't make it like the focus of an entire class. But, you know, like, hey, here's a tool Let's mess around with it and maybe as a class discuss, what is this going to do for the industry? Is this a good or a bad thing? How do you guys feel about this? You know, because I think that that's part of what you should be learning in college is not just this is how we do things, but like, how do we become part of an industry? I like that. I like the idea of like, okay, for the next four weeks or whatever, X number of weeks depends on the length of the course and all that. Like, we're going to create a game. And you need to use ChatGPT and AI art generation to make that game. Because then you can have, you, you, you create a perspective of, are these tools magical? 
Or do these tools have such limitations that it's not even worth using them? But it does. It creates that conversation. I think that's an interesting take on there. But like Sarah points out here, they've got a student working on this, one of their PhD students. Um, you know, how do we do this ethically, too? You know, like we talked about last week, like if these AI art generators are going through and taking, you know, the works of real artists and like copying them essentially and you know not giving credit to those things then is it ethical to use that tool in a classroom setting and teach kids it's okay to plagiarize if you do ai through it you know like (laughs) (laughs) as long um, as the ai is doing it for you (laughs) yeah as long as the ai is doing the plagiarizing it's not you you know so (laughs) it makes sense to try to iron out some of those ethical conundrums before unleashing it on students yeah for me like i get i love designing things right but i get creators block like i can i understand the mechanics and stuff that i want to work but as soon as i wanted to put story to it or whatever i just fall back to the same tropey fantasy settings that i always am comfortable with but now i can say hey chat gpt give me in this sci-fi setting give me you know 10 distinct alien races and It'll come up with a bunch of ideas. And even if I never use any of them, it unsticks me. Yeah, it gets you thinking, it, yeah. it gets it you gets outside right? of the comfort zone. There's so many times where like just, you know, it it can be somebody to soundboard off of where like you and me will talk about things and like come up with different ideas. Like every time you and me try to work on a board game together, we both come out with completely different ideas for our own board games that neither of us and would have come egos. up with on our own. Yeah, but we still have egos <laughs> where it's like, no, my idea is better. ChatGPT doesn't care. ChatGPT like, use my idea. Care. Don't use my idea. I don't care. Yeah. Um, which I is an interesting like sounding board and stuff. It's just really it's an interesting way to get you unstuck. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so that's that is my AI for students. Now we're gonna talk. Now we're going into the creative pieces of this and using AI as a tool in a similar way to the, what I just mentioned, where. Maybe, like the other day, I Googled, or not Googled, I used Midjourney to say, hey, give me a, ma- so for a collectible card game, give me an icon for, to represent magic. And it came up with the way that a lot of these tools work. They give you four different images, and you can either say, give me variations on one of these images, or hey, pick this image um, and like enhance it, and I want to make it production worthy, right? So I asked Midjourney to do this, and it came up with four very different icons, all of which were fairly valid. And one of them that I really, really liked that I would have never, ever been able to come up with on my own. Like, I'm not a creative art person. And, you know, eventually I just kind of dismissed it and not going to use it for anything. I was like, curious what it could do. But at the same time, it made me say, hey, if I do want to go down this path, and when you're when I'm designing something, I like having art. Art inspires me to keep going. And if I get to a certain point and it's just like text on index cards, I get bored with the design and I just kind of leave it alone. But if I have the way of like generating like this placeholder stuff and that keeps me going and keeps me designing, I think that's kind of an interesting way of using these tools. Um, Fletcher, have you heard anything about a program called, or not a program, but uh, I guess it's a service called Copilot? Uh, yes, actually. Uh, it's by GitHub, right? Yeah. Yes, actually, have you ever we used are talking this? about it at work. No, I have not used it. it. I'm assuming you've never heard of this. The only co-pilot I have heard of is um, a virtual personal trainer. I'm guessing that's not it. It's similar, but it's a virtual <laughs> programmer. It's essentially, and I'm going over this actually tomorrow with um, one of my architects, and we are likely going to make the call that we're going to incorporate this into our normal work stream. So what this does for programmers is you can literally just, it integrates in with our, you know, basically our text editor for writing code. And you can put a comment in the code and then point code copilot at it. And it'll write the code that goes along with that comment. So it's writing like sections of code. So that's one thing it does. The other thing it does is you can push up code to GitHub. This is where we store our code and all everyone who's working on a project, it all gets merged into one spot. And it will review 
the code that gets brought up, recommend things, and even refactor in place in certain cases where it's like, hey, wait a minute, this is doesn't follow the coding standards, so I fixed it like this, how does that look? And then you can be like, yes, no, that's what I want or don't want. Um, so I haven't, like, I just only know the basics of what it can do. It's $100 a year for an AI peer programmer. And it just seems like, why wouldn't you want to use something like this? Like, it can only make things better. You can always say no to whatever it's doing. And if you understand what it's doing, all the better. Hopefully you do. And if you don't understand what it's doing, well, great. You don't have to be that skilled a programmer anymore. You just spend $100 and get Copilot to do your work for you. <laughs> uh, I, I don't I don't think I like that aspect so much. You don't have to be so skilled anymore. The machine will do it for you. I'm sorry, well, what are you writing? What is this supposed to do? Well, the other Somebody thing is that understand. I have problems... <laughs> well, the other thing I have problems with is when I, if I push up some code or check in some code, um, I will rarely have people comment on my code because I'm the boss. We can't right. comment on the boss's code. Copilot doesn't care. Either does Creon, but Copilot doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like, and I can't really take offense to it. I'm like, okay. Um, Creon seems we'll like see. a better we'll resource, but you know, just saying. Um, well, he's the one that's recommending that we use this. So I don't know. Maybe this, <laughs> this is why he's been so good lately. Um, but there's also things like there's, um, and I don't know if this exists or not, but they were talking about using AI in doctor's offices because there's always new things coming out, um, new research, new ways of diagnosing things. And doctors can't possibly like consume all of it. So essentially what you do is you run whatever symptoms you're having through AI that then comes back and says, okay, here's these possible things that could be it. And then what the doctor does is simply say, okay, now these are the things I can look at. Now I look deeper into those things, right? So it's not like AI is doing the job, but it's it's doing the research. It's probably lupus. It's probably lupus. (laughs) I always recommend lupus. It's always lupus. (laughs) It's never lupus. I think one episode it was lupus. It was lupus that one time. In, in eight seasons or nine seasons, whatever it was. House. If you haven't watched it, um, go back and watch it. I don't it. know if it, it holds, holds up. up does it? I don't I know. It does. It holds up. When's the last time you watched it? Oh, I don't know. A few months ago, Carmen started oh. getting on to like a, like a, well, like maybe a medical drama it. kick. So she was I watching House. Carmen. She was watching ER. <laughs> She's on like, I don't know, season 14 of ER. <laughs> So, yeah, I want my AI, I want to call my AI house. And although he's not the best doctor, he just keeps <laughs> guessing and guessing and guessing until it gets right. But it's always right within an hour. So it's, he's fine there. Um, but Miles brings up a good point, too. He's like, a lot of doctors are still way out of date with research that are like 30 years old. That's the problem with careers. Um when you get set in your ways, and I, I mentioned this about academia too, and because you see it pretty much anywhere, anywhere where you're working in the same thing for you know 10, 15 years, you get set in your ways, and it is hard. It is actively work to stay up to date on anything. Well, they have so like uh, conferences it, and stuff for like continuing education to try to combat that. They do, sure. and doctors and attorneys both have really high like necessary continuing education standards that they have to keep to continue being licensed. Yeah. But it's still not as much as what you were doing when you learned, when you first learned your doctoring, your lawyering, you learned a certain case set um, in both cases, I guess you could say case set. And as things change over time, that knowledge that you took in the very beginning, that's still ingrained. And it's hard for that to change. Like, yes, you could come across something that changes your idea on something, but you can never stay up to date on everything. Um, it's just it's it's just too much. So I don't know. I think it's an interesting idea there. I don't know. It's crazy. The difference between like, you know, I had a kid five years ago and I'm currently pregnant. Like the differences of like, the advice that I get from doctors, even within that five year span, has like just changed like slightly, like little bits. Apparently, now I'm not supposed to be drinking chamomile tea. That wasn't wow. a thing in my first pregnancy. <laughs> I mean, for 20 years, we won't, weren't supposed to give our kids, you know, allergic, allergic, allergen foods or whatever. Allergies. Foods that are, you could have an allergy to um, in the first year to two years of 
And now it's like before six months. And now it's like, yeah, sorry. These should be Um, first foods. We got that backwards. Yep. You should give that to them. Start as soon as they can consume it, except for honey. Wait for a year. Um, And Um, that's not because of the allergies. Do you have a dog? Great. Rub it all over your kid. (laughs) Find a dog and rub it on your child. I do have a dog, and you really can't stop them from rubbing themselves all over your children yeah. at some point. Yeah. Um, if you don't have a dog, but, uh, find find a dog. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then you look even further back, and my mom was told every time you feed your baby, you should give them a bottle of water after their feed and then put them to sleep on their stomach. And every yeah. new mother out there is just like, <gasps> nope. <laughs> that was the recommended thing. <laughs> Yep. Well, and how we found out about these things were, you know, catastrophic, right? Because the way we know that you should give your children the peanuts before they turn one is because when we gave advice that nobody should do that, peanut allergy shot up like 20 rapidly. Right. And it's like, oh, oops. Um, Except in Israel, where they all feed their kids bombas. Right. Which are little peanut puffs. And And it's like, wait a minute, they don't have any peanut allergies at all over there. So. Yeah, I mean, these are just things, and they're examples of how things can change. But now imagine, so we do a lot of research studies, and I don't mean for this to be an episode on AI again. So we're going to, I'm going to so three more minutes on this one. Yeah, you do. But imagine <laughs> that AI is monitoring the internet, just in general, right? It can be trends, it could be whatever. It can spot patterns faster than any human can spot patterns. And you can catch these things a lot earlier if you're looking for them. Um, so I don't know. I think there's a lot of benefits there. But I want to talk about AI and game design, which I alluded to just briefly. Um, I or writing in general. Um, Fletcher, have you ever written anything? A book? A short story? <laughs> uh, you, you don't know about my uh, Pulitzer Prize winning uh, you know, article that I, uh, that I publish? I only no, talk I- to you for about an hour and a half a week. So, yeah, you could be doing anything. I don't know. I asked you what you're doing this week, and you're like, I don't remember. I wasn't don't writing look. a book, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't uh, I don't write. Um, I don't really write. I write emails, and I write a lot of text messages now, a lot more. And I used to write code, but uh, that's not really human. I guess it is kind of human readable, but it's not the writing that we're talking about. Not your code. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was an inside, uh, really uh, deep cut. Kitty, have you ever written like a short story or something? Like either because you had to or wanted to. I mean, I had yes. to write papers and stuff in college, but like I'm not counting that. Yes. Is- <laughs> Am I supposed to elaborate? <laughs> I don't know. Fletcher was talking. I thought you had more to follow up on. Yes, I I write things. Do I? <laughs> do anything with them no but i have fun writing on occasion i'm well what i'm getting i think i've never i've never i've always wanted to write something Mm -hmm. but i've never actually sat down and done it like you have a lot of other creative outlets that don't involve writing Mm -hmm. i don't know if my attention span would keep me that long but i think with something prompting me along maybe although to be honest i still probably don't have the interest in it i'm just wondering do you see a way that something like a chat GPT could keep you like allow you to finish something like no. have you started stories that you haven't finished? <laughs> Absolutely. Everything I start, I don't finish. Um, just kidding. That's and why? Not exactly I'm wondering, true. Well, I mean, <sighs> um, usually I lose interest. I get focused on something else because I have ADHD. Probably it's undiagnosed, but it's it's fairly likely at this point. Because multiple of my siblings have actually been diagnosed and it runs in families. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that I think that's my biggest problem is I start something and then once it gets hard, I walk away from it. And sometimes I come back to it, but oftentimes I don't. And I start something new. And I, yeah, that's what I do. So I just asked ChatGPT for, I said, give me 10 writing prompts in a sci-fi setting. And I don't need prompts for ideas. I have lots of ideas. I don't have lots of endings. Sure. And I don't want ChatGPT <laughs> to write me an ending. I want to write my own ending. I come up with it. That's the fun part. But Ooh, I like that. Ask, how does this story end? Interesting. Um, so Christy actually, and, and Christopher says my three minutes is the last, but now we're talking about games, I promise. Um, Are we? And, and John <laughs> says, John says that he has lots of ideas. 
but he's not a writer, so he just so the content sucks. I'm wondering, you just if you give ChatGPT the idea, it'll write the story for you, so you can go both ways. Um, you can just be the editor. But Christy asked ChatGPT to uh, come up with a fantasy football game. This was before our last episode. This was in December, um, and it had come up with a few, I think there was four ideas that it came up with, and idea three was very very close to what we were talking about before. Um, she asked chat GPT. So I think you can use it as a prompt for a, a lot of things, right? So if you're like, um, give me, uh, three ideas for a, um, uh, sock making board game. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> did you see the, uh, AI generated sock pattern I put up last week? I did not. Um, okay, so here up. are the names of these three games. First one is called Sock Factory. Second one is called Sock Olympics. And the third one is called Sock Swap. I'm only going to read one of these. So based on the, the names alone, Fletcher, which one do you want to know? Sock Factory, Sock Olympics, or Sock Swap? Uh, Sock Olympics, because that seems ridiculous. In this game, players compete in a series of events to test their sock-making skills. Events could include knitting speed challenges, sock design contests, and quality control checks. Each event has a unique sock set of rules and requirements, and players must use strategy and skill to earn points and win medals. The player with the most medals at the end of the game is declared the Sock Olympic Champion. (laughs) I like the quality control. (laughs) Elaborate on Sock Olympics. I'm I'm very curious here. Um, Quality control. Uh, Sock Olympics is a <laughs> is a board game that invites players to compete in a series of sock making challenges. The game can be played with two to four players, and the objective is to earn the most points by winning events and earning medals. The game features a track with spaces for each event, as well as spaces for players to collect points and medals. Like it just goes on. Um, the event socks include challenges such as knitting, sock design, quality control, material matching challenge. Um, yeah, so this is crap. Like this is this is really bad. Yeah, but it might start like triggering ideas. It's like, oh, I can work with this knitting speed challenge thing. Let me see what I can do there and how I can make that work. Um, so yeah, I, like silly things like these. I could see this like in a creative writing thing where it's like, okay, use this to come up with the prompts, and now stop. Right. Everyone's looking at the same thing. Everyone's like, all right, Sock Olympics. Now everyone design Sock Olympics. You can use what's here. You can, you know, riff on it or whatever, but that's, that's the exercise. And I don't know. I think that would be fun. All right. Let's move on. Let's move on to, um, 3D printing. Um, Fletcher, have you bought your 3D printer yet? No. Oh. Kitty, you have your 3D printer yet? No, I just make you print things for me. That's true. Um, so I bring this one up because there's we have a 3D printing channel. And recently there was a question. It's like, where do I get started with 3D printing? And every once in a while this comes up as, hey, Chris, are you you know still using your printer? And yes, uh, my new printer. Since I got my new printer, I use it quite often. I printed an entire, I don't know, what was it? 30 pieces for you, Kitty? Mm, it was possibly more than that. Yeah, it's, it's a lot me. of pieces. Yeah, it was about two and a half pounds of plastic that went into those pieces. Um, you can see it. And my new printer, it's right there. And it's Kitty's turning the camera so you can see her uh, sock making machine in the background, which is pink with a little bit of a yellow accent because I ran out of pink filament. There's also some tiny blue color. pieces because I broke some Just, bits. <laughs> but they're kind of hidden, so they're like hidden blue pieces. Uh, it's right here. It's right on top. He's, he's front <laughs> John mentioned center. it makes great make, makes great podcast content. Um, yeah, go to our Discord. There's a crafting channel, and Kitty has pictures of her sock making machine in the crafting channel. I put it in the crafting channel and the 3D printing channel. And the 3D printing channel. Yeah. Um, it's still I not have... 100% functional, but I'm getting there. It's, that's your fault, not mine, right? It is 100% my fault. Uh, well, right. it needs sanding. That's fair. It's. I mean, the fact That's that it no came out fault. and you were able to <laughs> assemble it is still... I'm impressed by that. Um, but I will say, since our 3D printing episode, I have gotten a lot more experience 
Um, mm-hmm. I started out using a resin printer. Then I started with, uh, then I moved over to a filament printer with the Ender 3. Um, the resin printer I haven't used in probably over a year. Um, I put it in the back so that the smell would be like in one spot. And then just it never started going back there again. The filament printer I used fairly often, but with the Ender 3, it failed all the time. So it got frustrating and I just stopped trying to do things. And then I kickstarted a printer, um, the Anchor the Anchor Make M5, um, which is not a cheap printer. That particular printer, if I click on the website right now, is $679. And that is a decent amount of money for a printer. But wow, this is a printer I use, I don't want to say every day, but at least every week. I'm using this for something. Um, yesterday, we have these like um, crayons that you can, they're like the size of a pen and you can twist them and the crayons pop out. And there's a whole bunch of them. And I'm like, I want to get a crayon case for these. So I went downstairs, I designed a crayon case on OpenSCAD and printed it out all in the same day. And now we have this giant crayon bowl that sits on the counter um, because I have this 3D printer and it prints this particular one prints so fast what i this crayon bowl would have taken a normal printer probably two and a half days to print um this one took about 10 hours which is a game changer because i can print a lot of things in like an hour or two i don't Um, think the knitting machine would have been possible on a yeah the knitting machine i would have never because weeks (laughs) yeah and it would have constantly been failing too because there's just a lot of those tweaky printers, there's a lot of things that are just not, um, you just I have to also with it don't much. think it would have been as good because a lot of these pieces like will fit on your larger print bed that they had to have broken up versions of the pieces for people who have smaller 3D printers. And I just can't imagine that that would be as sturdy. And this thing takes some, some pressure. It takes a beating. Yeah. When like I said, I, this is expensive. I wouldn't recommend it necessarily if you're just kind of curious about 3D printing. Um, but these printers, if think, you spend the money on them. I think it's less expensive if you really want a sock knitting machine. To buy the 3D printer and the <laughs> filament and all the hardware is still less than you would buy a 3D printed sock knitting machine online for. Yeah, a single one was somewhere in the neighborhood of like a thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, thousand. Yeah, <laughs> um, or Christopher says, or just buy socks. That's what I said too. But it's apparently, not the same. <laughs> now I you will don't sit over to... here in my superior hand knitted <laughs> socks someday when I get this thing working. You don't have to get a seven hundred dollar printer. Um, I think, uh, yeah, JC, he referenced a Prusa Mini, which is has similar um, features to the one I have, which is like auto bed leveling. And, you know, it just kind of works out of the box. Um, not a ton of assembly, a little bit of assembly. Um, and that one is, let's see if I'm looking at it right now, that one's $460. Um, and there's a bunch, there's a, also, you can just Google best printers under X dollars, and you'll find... Um, some out there. But so what I've been doing is a lot of board game inserts with these um, card cases, um, you know, deck holders, those types of things. I- anytime I see an organization issue, I'm like, I wonder if I can 3D print something for this. And you just learn, you have to learn a basic 3D design software. I use OpenSCAD because it's all um, programming based. It's all scripts. I can type make a sphere that's this wide and this tall, and it'll just do it. Um, but you could also use any, there's a ton of free 3D tools out there with lots of tutorials. Um, I think for 3D printing, it really starts to become useful when you can design your own basic stuff. But yeah, and I think that it's getting better and better these days where it's almost, I mean, give it a decade and everyone's going to have one of these. It's going to be like paper printer? No. We have a paperless, but everyone's going to have a 3D printer. And I don't, Fletcher, I don't understand why you don't have one yet. Um, I don't know if I haven't, I, I don't think I've really like needed one. I have a paper printer, but that was something that, um, Carmen wanted. Um, I mean, we, we moved to our, you know, new home 
less than a year ago. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, before it was just, it was, it was a matter of space, right? It's like, how often am I going to use this thing? Is it going to be con- constantly printing stuff? If not, then I don't know what horizontal space I'm going to put it on. So we have more room now. They don't but- actually, yeah, they don't actually take up a ton of space, but they are like, I don't know, maybe two feet by two feet. I mean, you need at least some surface space for that. Samness mentions that he orders um, some 3D printed box inserts off of Etsy. And um, Jerry Bear asks, is OpenSCAD something high school students can handle? And 100%. I think anybody um, can use OpenSCAD for your you know 3D design. It's There's a little bit, like it's a scripting language, right? If you are comfortable with, you know, HTML, basic HTML slash JavaScript, um, you have way more knowledge than you need to make this work. And it's really just like, you know, take this, figure subtract this figure add this figure um it's it's really quite simple um yeah tinkercad is another one uh out there there's a bunch of visual ones so this one is is pure code um you there's a view window when you make it but um there's a bunch of visual ones out there too that are pretty easy um john mentions blender blender is crazy complicated and i don't want to say crazy complicated because nothing's complicated once you learn it but there's so much that blender does that I kept getting in the way of myself because it's like, okay, wait a minute, wait, um, there's too many options, um, which is why I went to OpenSCAD because there's the only options you have are the ones that you want because you're just you type them in there. But um, but yeah, I think if you are making, you know, if you have a lot of board games and you want to organize things and you're buying box inserts off of you know Etsy, take a look at a 3D printer because you know making and printing boxes not that hard to do. And when you can start making them the way you want to make them, it changes things. It's like, oh, this is cool, right? Now you get to be creative while making your box inserts exactly the way you want them to be. Um, so, yeah. So, that is my 3D printer update. Um, Spencer keeps telling me that he's going to get one eventually. We'll see. First, we have to get our living room back. You still don't have a living room? We're trying to strip lead paint without murdering anyone. And it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how historic. That's why I deserve tax credits. <laughs> For my not murdery ways. Um, Kitty, when's the last time that you painted a miniature? Mm, that one time at your house when we watched Tangled and I painted my miniature for a campaign that was like, I don't know, when you still liked Pathfinder. So... That was before kids. Yes. That After was marriage, between 10 and 5 years ago. <laughs> yes. That was a long time. That was a long time ago. Yes. Um why don't you paint? Cuz you enjoyed that and you were actually very good. Like I don't think you painted a ton of miniatures and yours was quite good for the one or two that you painted. Uh-huh. Why didn't I continue? Because I have <laughs> so many hobbies. I don't need to pick up another one and like Fletcher said, you know, even I have run out of horizontal space at some point where I can put these things down on and I don't, I don't need it in my life. And I don't play a lot of games that require miniatures. And the only games I can think of that require miniatures now we play online, which is D&D. That was the only time I painted miniatures was for my D&D characters. So yeah, why? Um, I'm just curious. Uh, there's a lot of been, so since we talked about painting miniatures, there's been a lot of new kinds of paints and stuff that have popped up. And, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to briefly touch on those, but Fletcher, have you ever painted a miniature? Mm, no, I have not. And, but you've played miniature games. You've played D and D where you've yeah. used miniatures. Um, you've even played miniature skirmish games before, right? Like Warhammer and, uh yeah not to like any kind of like real degree just occasionally kind of like a friend that was really into warhammer and it's like let's play and i'm like okay well tell me what to do because i have no idea what i'm doing so what has if you had say we're gonna do a DD campaign we're gonna do it in, in person i'm like all right everyone has to paint their own miniature um would that be something that interested you or would you be like eh, i'm gonna go hire this out to some ai company that'll do it for me Probably the latter. Um, I wouldn't have a problem designing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't like have a paint. problem designing. So, what's that? Uh, what's that miniature creator Heroscape. online? Mm-hmm. What, what is it? Heroscape. 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 Yeah, 
Yep. So that to me is is great. Like I have no problem designing it, like picking the weapons, picking the pose, picking the background, and then going through and like Hero Forge, sorry, sorry. Or Hero Forge, yeah. And then you can Chris. even go through and like color so color it there. Like that uh-huh. is great. I have no problem with that and I like doing that. But actually like holding it and painting it sounds so tedious and boring. I don't want any part of it. <laughs> That's fair. So it's not the designing aspect; it's the it's like the doing aspect with the paintbrush and like doing it. So I, I can think see that. actually, what soured me on painting miniatures, Chris, is that I painted I think like three characters for campaigns that you were running, and every time by the time I finished my miniature, you were bored of the campaign, and we moved on to something else, and I never actually used my miniatures. <laughs> in all fairness, paint faster. <laughs> I have a very short attention span. Um, no, all those all those are good reasons. Getting getting burned and then finding it boring and tedious. I don't think when I first started painting, I don't think I found it boring and tedious. I think for me, it was I didn't think I could paint it as well as gray plastic would look. So as soon as I like going to put paint on the miniature, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to ruin this. And in some ways, you are. Don't get me wrong. Um, well, great. So you try to put pupils in eyeballs. <laughs> very they difficult. Always look dumb. Um, yeah. If you're going to resell He's looking a game, around me. <laughs> if you're <laughs> like this, here's here's the trick to eyes. If you don't know learn anything about eyes, this is the trick to eyes. Um, you paint the eyes just a, a solid white. And then you dot the corners. So either dot mm-hmm. the left side of both eyes or dot the right side of both eyes. Never do an eye in the middle. And I know people are like, oh, no, no, you just draw a line down the middle and then you can use the yeah. skin color to cover up the stuff. No, no, no. Have them looking left or right. The eyes look way better. They're way easier. And it will change everything you think about eyes. It's like, that's that's all you have to do. Make them look a direction. Never make them look straight because they will always look co- cross-eyed. <laughs> Um, every no wonder time, I keep like, rolling yeah. ones. This guy's crossing. Yeah, because I because I have the right eyes all looking this way, and the left eyes looking that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I. So the reason why you w- may quote unquote ruin your miniatures is if you're trying to resell a cool mini or not game. Typically, if you've painted them, they're not going to sell. Like people want unpainted miniatures because they all, everyone has this delusion in their head that they're going to paint everything. And I've, I've been doing really good with the Marvel United. I've done with the guardians of the galaxy stuff. I've primed the next set of things. I'm doing the Thanos set and the Sentinel set now. Um, but it's slow going and you have to like keep pushing yourself for it. But that's where like, if you're going to resell it, don't, don't paint them. But if you really like the game, like Cthulhu death may die, I wanted to paint everything. So I did. And the game is better for it for me. Like it just, looks better in general um so my advice these days because we hear a lot about contrast paints and speed paints and um zenithal highlighting and airbrushes and all of this ignore all of it like it's it's like jumping too far into it where you haven't even put something on your brush yet get a basic set of paints somewhere in the neighborhood of you know 12 to 20 colors you, there's a ton of starter sets. You, Army Painter is the cheapest one. You can get a really good starter set. It includes a brush and just start painting. Like, just start doing it. Um, you know, pick some miniatures that you're not super, you know, in love with. You don't care what, what they look like. I think you will find one of two things. Either you'll find what Fletcher finds, which is, oh, man, this is tedious and boring. Or you'll find what Kitty did, which was, Spending, Your DM is going to kill this spent, character any minute <laughs> probably. now. But during the painting part, we spent probably six to eight hours on those first miniatures. At least six. And that's a very long time. So you first are like, oh, man, this is like this is going to take forever. Yes, your first miniature will probably take about six hours and you still won't be super thrilled with it. Don't get magnifying glasses. You do not need a magnifying glass. You're painting a miniature that's supposed to look good about two feet away from you. It's on on the table. Um, if it looks good while you're holding it up about a foot and a half away from you, it's great. It's perfect. Uh, you will just drive yourself crazy if you try to get, you know, look at all the details and try to 
It is incredibly difficult to move a brush under a magnifying glass. Kitty is now showing her painted miniature on I don't know where her hand went. She will... Yeah, because it was holding a sword or something. It was but a flag. She will take a picture and she will post it in our painting channel on our Discord. We have one of those too. Yep. Um, but yeah, just get a basic brush, get some basic colors, and just paint. And that's it. That's all you have to do. Just start painting. Now, if you really want to advance your painting, do exactly that. Get a brush, get some basic colors, and just paint. And then take a light wash. And again, from Army, Army Painter, I recommend the strong wash. Um, and just cover the entire miniature in a strong wash. And that'll add all your shading. It'll add some contrast to it. It it makes the model look a little bit more um, worn, but it makes it look less plasticky toy-like. It, it just looks better. Um, but that's an advanced method. And you don't even need to do that. Just put some paint on there. Your first miniature will take about six hours. Your second one probably take about four to five hours. By the time you're on your third or fourth, you should probably be around two hours if you're doing one at a time. And then you can start looking at, okay, what else can I do? What other paints do I want to look at? What other brushes do I want to look at? Um, but you can get started painting for $30. Like, and and what you come up with is not going to be terrible. Um I'm not an artist. I have no creative ability whatsoever. Painting miniatures is like coloring in a coloring book. You have all the lines. You just have to put paint in the lines. And that's that's all you're doing is it's a coloring book. Um, so, yeah. Fletcher, you want to do some painting? Uh, I will definitely mess up some of your miniatures if, if you want. All right. And I have at least two travel sets of paint that has all the stuff you need that I can just carry to conventions. I've, I've used them to bring them to um, gaming stores to um, teach painting. And so you can borrow one of my travel sets and just, just you guys just come over. We'll have a painting day and we'll have a fun at it. I'm, I'm curious. I'm not I'm opposed curious to trying it out. I just don't ever, I just doesn't sound appealing to me. <laughs> Kitty has now posted her picture into the painting channel. So join our Discord. It's very useful. You get all the pictures and the topics and the conversations. All right. That's all I have on being creative. Kitty, you have anything creative? I have lots of creative things, but not very many of them relate to board games. All right, fine. This topic wasn't super board game related, but I think all of these are tangentially board game related. I did paint this recently also. It's a Kitty little Kitty is holding boo. up what I think is a white rock with black paint. It's a white rock that's painted to look like little Boo from Mario. Ah, it's adorable. Uh, someone earlier mentioned the Mario movie when we were talking about the D and D movie. My and kids I are do pumped. really want to see the Mario movie. Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely all about that. Um, BJO. Yeah, I. I, I can't I believe that the, the person Mario whose movie. picture is Kirby is excited. <laughs> or Joe, as he says. One of the. Joes. I need to do so. This is what I need to do in Discord is I need to make everybody put in parentheses that's under your name what you want me to refer to you as when we're on uh, the podcast. Because even though I know most of your names, when I'm trying to do a a quick association in my head, I fall back to just saying, okay, uh, Sir Sully said, even though I was like, John. Um, But yeah. Kirby is the best to play in Smash Brothers. Yeah. I've never played Smash Brothers. If you are, you should play Kirby. Smash Brothers is good. Yeah. Oh. One more thing, and I'm going to plug this in the next couple episodes. Oh, did I? I meant to say this. I put this on the announcement. Um, next Wednesday, the 12th, is our second second Wednesday game BGA meetup. So put it in your calendar, Wednesday the 12th. Um, I'll probably be on starting around 5.30 Central Time, 6.30 Eastern. Um, and I'll be on probably for a good five, six hours or so. So if you want to play a game... Uh, let me know, and I will set aside time to play whatever game. And yeah, next Wednesday, the 12th, BGA Meetup. Also, if you are playing or want to play Final Fantasy fourteen, I've officially become addicted. Um, Zachary will sit next to me, and he's like, I want to watch you uh, fight things in the dungeon. And I'm like, okay. So now it's bonding time with Zachary, so it's like totally counts as father-son time um and if you want to be um in the same server after probably this week um we'll be jumping over to 
one of the new data centers. Um, join our Discord, go to our Final Fantasy XIV channel, and you can get all the data center information there that we're going to jump to. It's a new data center, new server, so it should be a free transfer for anyone who has a character that exists already, if you care. Um, but Final Fantasy XIV, online MMO, I'm addicted. <laughs> this is why I haven't been painting as much. It's painful. Don't worry, Fletcher, you're going to get hooked, I promise. As soon as I have some time, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, you have so much free time. You have two dogs and a wife and nothing else going on. Trust me, you have time. (laughs) And your wife works nights. What else are you doing at night? Sleeping. Uh, She will be working nights, but she doesn't work nights yet. (laughs) Normal humans sleep at night, Chris. Oh. Hey, I go to sleep by two almost every night. (laughs) Almost. It would be easier for me to wake up at two than for me to go to bed at two. No. It's closer to my wake time than to my bedtime. I'm already up past my bedtime. You are. All right. In that case, why don't you just start reading the outros? Um, Because I'm looking at this weird sock that somebody knitted based on an (laughs) AI-generated pattern instead of my show notes like I should have been. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. You can be part of our live recordings Monday nights at 8.30 Central. Join our Discord to continue the conversation. It's also where you can join us and other listeners in a constant stream of online games on Board Game Arena. The show notes have all the links you need, and you can always go to tabletopgametalk.com for more information and to search our growing archive of episodes. Oh, is it? Honest yawn. <laughs> Ending with a yawn. Are you okay? <laughs> I'm good. Hosting... Hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons. Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sahara Wentworth, Michael Finley, Listener Doug, The Gift of Games, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Emil Jiljam, Danita Hersey, Jim Conrad, Lightning Steve, Gary Bunker, Peter Fleming, Andrew Fayash, John Williams, Sir Selly, Matthew Droke, Jimothy, Paul Romer, Nicholas Lotz, Weatherman Keith, Leanne Verhul, Stephen Judd, Marina Stevens, Ben Gary, Sean Peck, Michael Yanikowski, Jeremy Fisher, Christopher Dong, Terrence Miltner, Richard Yossi, Tolkien Fan Forever, Stephen Falcon, Joe Romero, David Radke, Brian Arnold, Courtney Falk, Ryan Ellett, Dan Seed, Darren McClellan, David Garner, Jesse Wheeler, Charles Pearson, Agnes Toth, Ron Nelson, Aaron Moore, Don Gielstrap, Glenn Cotter, Eric Salander, Adrian Dong, Eric Hoffman, Jason Rodney, Jerry Huang, John, John P. Kelly, Sean P. Kelly, excuse me, <laughs> Krista Keel, Monica Witchman, and Michael27. And thanks to everybody, a patron, a patron um, or patron. Your support means the world to us. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. Thank you for all the patrons like John P. Kelly.